House of the Dragon, Season 1, Episode 2. I can't find the names of these episodes until we're done with our first podcast. So last week, the Heirs of the Dragon, I didn't find until like four days after. But we're recording this Monday morning and there is construction outside, dear loyal listeners. So apologies. I'll do my best to edit it out. Um, (laughs) Pretty bad. (laughs) It's pretty serious, though. (laughs) Before we start, it seems like the format we've settled on is that we'll do one first impressions slash bird's eye view, shorter review when we initially watch the episode and then later in the week we'll do a deep dive scene by scene episode. So this is our overview and our shorter episode. King Viserys seems to have alienated two of the most important people in his life with his decision to announce his marriage to Alicent Hightower. Did you see that coming? Yeah, I did, but only during this episode. So they set it up in last episode of Hightower sending her and then her connecting with him in an emotional, meaningful way. She's never been oppressive in her approach to him and their time together. But I saw it coming the moment I realized that they were still meeting. So it's six months later we see and they are still meeting. And at that point, it's very intentional of the king to allow it. So that first one that's taking advantage of him, this is not anymore. He wants it. He's going for it. And then (laughs) the final nails in the coffin before he said it were, don't tell my daughter or you don't tell anyone else, something like that. It's like, yep, I know where this is going. And then when she fixed that dragon thing. It seemed like they tried to misdirect you and almost make you forget toward the end, but... Oh, I was expecting it. I was going to say it out loud. I'm like, and it's Alice and Tower. Yeah, the somewhat cognizant viewer would have realized that. I'm glad that you gave me somewhat cognizant (laughs) viewer. You deserve somewhat cognizant (laughs) viewer status. But it was a bold move of Corley's, Corals. (laughs) Ah, damn it. Corliss. Corliss. Because when you write it down and you try to read it, it doesn't come out right. But Corliss, to propose it. Because he knew he was running the risk of it not working out. And it was pretty bold, but it also... I actually don't think it was as bold. And that is what one of those guys at the round table... We, we got to see a little bit more of the... the small the, council. The small council, yeah. Sorry, I, I keep thinking knights of the round table. And then um, also how I say meister, meister, and master. Oh, yeah. One <laughs> speaking thing I should clear up. So there's Valerians, our people are from Valeria, and then there's Valarians, which is what Corliss is. So Valarian is a family. Yes. So last week I said Valerians aren't dragon riders, but I I meant the Valarian family. People from Valeria, some are dragon riders, some are not. The Targaryens obviously were, but no dragon riders that I'm aware of immigrated to Westeros, even though the Valarian family did, and they're from Valeria. After the six-month jump, the first scene between Viserys and Alicent, it, it looked to me like um, it was Alicent who was having the feelings more than the king. She um, was giving him the eyes a little bit, and the way this all could have worked out is that you assume that when uh, Otto placed her in there, that the king would fall for her and she would be reluctant, but it kind of appeared to me to be a little bit the opposite, that she started developing feelings. I think they both did. That's where I landed it. it was right now, I agree with you. I, she, I remember thinking at some point, uh, she's playing the game too. Now she is a, a person playing the game. I, I feel in the second episode, we watch two... Keep in mind, at this point in this world, a 15-year-old girl is kind of equivalent to like a woman. Yeah, like they even expressly said 14 would be the age of copulation. 
Is that the word? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it, had he married the young Valerian, I forgot her name. Elena, Lenora, something like that. Yeah, something like that. But, I mean, she's 12 right now. That's not unheard of at all. Right. Like, and, and if, just so people know, if you go not too far back in history, there are several cultures that did this. And there are still a few in our age now that do do this, the child brides that you hear of. But Well, when you read these books by George R. R. Martin, almost everyone is younger across the board. Right. Like, Rob Stark was, like, 14. Yeah, when the show, when the book started, Rob and John are all, like, 14. They're all teenagers. Danny was, like, 13 or 14 or something. Right. So... Um, and I think sometimes people forget that, so when it gets mentioned, they're like, oh, oh my God. Yeah. It's like, yeah, please remember that that's actually a ton of these characters. But I agree with you. I definitely had the impression watching this that after that six-month jump, Alicent is really learning how to play the game. The actress's whole demeanor looked much... Um, she was more mature. She, she looked much more mature, much more like focused, I guess would be the word. She's got her own agenda, for sure. Because <laughs> he did not bother to ask her to not tell her childhood best friend about their meanings. She already was doing that. Right. Well, and as we saw, King Viserys said she wouldn't understand. I don't know if that's the exact right way to put it, but it was alienating to her, as we saw at the end, to Princess Rhaenyra. So, yeah, it's twofold. One, it means that her best friend and her own father, in the six months after she lost her mother and brother, completely lied to her face on a regular basis. This all happened behind the scenes. And not only that, she gets sabotaged at the small council. So it's not like, hey, I'm going to give you a heads up. I'm going to do this. So... Yeah, the way the king announced it was a little strange because he apparently didn't even talk to Alicent about it beforehand. He just declared that he was marrying somebody new and... Which I have some thoughts on that, but like just to at least finish here. But it's the implications of what this means. So for example... Imagine if your best friend married your dad and then had kids who could basically supplant you. Like, her best friend will come queen. But then think of the dynamic of the relationship now that best friend and dad are going to have. Talk about a weird triangle here where it's not good for the princess in this way at all. Like, so it's not even just the deceit of the past. It's the, the quarrels that will come of the future. Yeah, and the queen that never was really made this clear to Princess Rhaenyra that this is the way it was going to go. It's just that they all had somebody else in mind. They all thought it was going to be Corlys' daughter. Well, I'm wondering if, like, part of what she was saying is they're humoring you right now. But he's going to get married. He's probably going to have a son. And then it's done. So people just had to like hold their breath for a little bit, but it was never going to be taken seriously. So it's almost just like fanfare in a way right now. But Wait, what do you mean? Right now she's the heir, but she'll never actually become queen. So she won't all... sit the Iron Throne. She'll just be written down as paper or as the, the next heir. Yeah, it was always going to be temporary, you're saying. Yeah. And then Rainey's, she also says, and your father is no fool. Yeah, so that was really that interesting, almost making it sound like he knew this would be fanfare as well. Princess Rhaenyra did say, like, I did not, you did not do this for me. You did this to spite Damon. So really, I'm just a piece here. And she knows it. Well, this is one of those things where you don't even know if the king knows it. Like, I think all these descriptions are accurate, but you know the saying, heavy is the, the head that wears the crown. That actor and that character, you really see that. You know, he's... He doesn't like making these decisions. He's worn down. You can see before he announces it, 
at the small council meeting. He's calculating it like that's not the right word, but he's he's given his speech to himself in his head. He's beat down by all these decisions. And I think everything you describe and what all the players describe to each other is completely correct. But it is despite Damon, but he might not even realize it's to, to despite Damon completely. He's just going along and exhausted and of having to make all these decisions. That's the impression I got. I don't know. I think he wanted to get back at Damon. I mean, Damon really, and you see it again here, knows how to push the envelope and then go, like, there's the line. He'll come right up to the line, and then he'll hop over it. He won't go way over the line, but he will go over it. Well, today he backed off the line, too. Because I think that's always his game. I think he likes to know how much he'll get away with, but he's also going to display I'm always a force to be reckoned with. But, like, before we get into Damon here a little bit more... I found it really interesting when Rainey's says this. They make it a point to say, hey, the king is no fool. And then we've got this whole thing that happened with Corliss and his daughter and choosing Alicent. That seems a very foolish mistake to me. This is where the king has gone off the rails from my perspective because... So this is a Rob Stark moment? That's the parallel I kept thinking of. This is, this is 100% a Rob Stark moment. Because this is not playing the Game of Thrones. It works for Otto. Otto was playing. And I think Alicent is now playing in it. it. Behooves them to do that. But for the realm, because we even get that scene of the guy that we don't know who sits at the small council. And he, he's like, I need an unencumbered opinion. And the guy sets up all the reasons why he should marry Corliss's daughter. And you made the, the statement that was pretty bold. And even this guy giving this feedback to King Viserys says... Yeah, but it was kind of not really that bold. He is in the position to ask that, to offer that. He is the richest, he's the head of the richest family in the kingdom. That's not nothing. He has half of the naval ships and controls them. That's a huge thing. They are also both from Valeria and they like to keep those bloodlines. That is an important thing. So basically he he has the best position ever Technically, you're not really playing the Game of Thrones unless you ask when the time is right, and the time was right. He went for it. So my position, I don't think it was that bold. And I actually think he should have gotten it. Yeah, they really made a point that this would not be a muggle marriage. It was um, This was a pure blood marriage. <laughs> but the, but right, so that's what I was saying about the king, though. Um, how calculating is he? Because all the math says he should have done that, his... I'm glad that they fleshed out the small council a little bit more and we got to know that this person who didn't say much in the first episode is apparently trusted by the king and he's smart. So the king, he's thinking and he's calculating, but he's also, it's also hard for him. You know, he's he's wary and he has feelings for Alicent and... But that's not anything new. That's what being king is. That's that He's been king for a long time here. These are, this, this isn't that, I don't know, I don't feel like that's... Well, they're, they're showing, this is what everybody says, he's... He's, he can kind of be pushed and pulled in different directions, and he's a little bit weak. So when people are playing around him, <clears throat> he's not... Well, and how does he act when Damon's not around? Because Damon had kind of been around before, where now he got banished. And he's kind of an exile, so to speak, at Dragonstone. But even Damon presumably would have supported the marriage to the young Valarian. But would the king have cared? You know, he could. Have, it seems like he could have every advisor telling him it's a good move. You should take it. And he still would have went with Alicent. And that's where it's a Rob Stark move, potentially. Where I was left when the episode ended was, that was a boneheaded move. 
and his best reasoning of why it won't really affect Corliss and the family is he wouldn't do that. His best reasoning. So when he was getting that, he was having that one-on-one with that small council member. He's like, hey, you know, if this doesn't happen, it will really, really be a pie in the face to this family. At this point, now that it's out there, it's mentioned that how he's got half the ships belong to him. So yeah, they're a part of the, the fleet. It's his house that he built. And Corliss is even, you know, we see him saying at some point, he's talking to Damon, but I built this with my own hands. It's not even like he inherited all those ships. So like just hoping that he won't really take offense and will do things just because he's the king. Well, I did like that King Viserys did say that to him when Corliss said, oh, this is absurd or whatever. Or at some point that the king said, I'm your king. And they got to remember that. I think that was kind of the point is Corliss is, is thinking he's about equal with the king. And the king had to remind him that he isn't. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if Corliss shows the king he may not be king, but he's somebody. Well, he seems out to prove that. So I like that scene at the end. So a lesser show, a less sophisticated show, would have had Corliss approach Damon about overthrowing the series. Like, mm-hmm. we both got a bone to pick, let's do this. But he's not. Not only because Damon, whatever else he is, he probably doesn't seem to want to do that because it's his brother. But also, that's just too simple. It's kind of stupid. So what Corliss is saying is like, let's prove how important we are to everybody. Let's show that us second sons, as he called it, yeah, are important. Yeah, we've got this whole theme of second sons here. Right, yeah. And that, that came up several times. But this is a parallel to Stannis going to the north to fight the the threat. You know, it's like, I'm entitled to be king, but that's not going to work, so I'm going to go be the king. I'm going to go act the part. And that's what Corliss is saying. Like, let's act a part here. Not only, well, yeah, I guess to prove it. But Damon has something here where he might want to just um, show how valuable he is. Well, and a lot of people who are at the level of, like, Corliss and Damon, they don't like being underutilized. And I think they both really feel that. And I think that's part of Corliss's point as well, is like, we are meant to be much more and we are being tied down. It's kind of similar to what happens keeping the dragons in captivity. They don't do well stifled like that. And Corliss did also slip in that if this problem keeps happening, it will ruin my house. There is a self-protective element here. He is worried about these trade routes has come up several times. So his, since they're a, you know, ship, whatever they, whatever they do, whatever the economy is down there, this is particular to him. It's not just the realm. So when he's talking to the king, it seems like he's dressing it up as you're weak. They're going to take advantage of you. But then he lets slip here to Damon that my house will be ruined if this continues. Mm-hmm. And then Damon also did what King Viserys did and kind of reminded Corliss, like, he's your king. And I can talk to him, but you can't. Something to that mm-hmm. effect. So they're, they're both putting him in his place a little bit here. Yeah. Which, <laughs> I don't know why I kind of want Hightower to be put in his place. <laughs> I, the guy who, who plays him, Reese, I'm forgetting his last name, but he's good. Uh, he he, he's got a very Taiwan-esque element to him where there's just this cold calculation and any emotion you see is just irritation or anger. But, like... Well, going off what we said last week, too... We said he looked a little disheveled, and we don't know how long it's been since he lost his wife. Now with the six-month time jump, he looked cleaned up. Mm-hmm. He looked more like Tywin. He looked his hair was like slicked back a little bit. He's, he's a, a very confident man. Yeah, his right, his posture was better. Everything, everything looked a little bit sharper now. Yeah, he's he's playing the game. The look on his face when it was announced that Alicent was, and he looked at Corliss, and he even head, head nods him. Yeah, just that little that little shit eating 
kind of mild grin. Well, and, and going back to what you said of Corliss saying, like, his house, this is now two generations in a row where the Targaryens and the acting rulers have snubbed this family to be a part of royalty in any way. And I wouldn't blame if they start to wonder, is this on purpose? Like, is there something wrong or a reason why that they are not valuing us more? So how many times can they be snubbed before the realm also thinks they're weak and could be turn on them in that way too? Right. Speaking of Hightower, when he went to see Damon, this was something it was hard for me to read. He said, it's too dangerous for you, I'll go. And then it, it didn't play out differently. Like, I thought he might go because he wanted to say something in private. But no, he went, and there was going to be possibly bloodshed there. So what, what was this act? Was this protecting the king, or was this being a, being a good hand, or what was going on here? From my perspective, this is just a bunch of men posturing again. Their little peacock feathers are going. Because... Did everyone forget that Damon is a dragon rider and has a dragon? It's literally the equivalent of anyone coming up to Danny when she has her dragons. Like, you're nothing. Yeah. So this is way overconfidence on Hightower's part, thinking he can come in and actually do well with this. And I definitely think that at least some people would have died. Not the principal players, but maybe some of the King's Guard, some of Damon's, like absolutely were people going to be killed here and it's just what are you playing at here right this this was the one part of the episode that was hard for me to make sense of like just like you said like oh they forgot that damon has a nuclear weapon you know underneath them because you, you could have had um which i think is saying something here we keep talking about metaphors and themes and i think people are forgetting because this is and we'll finish up with this and come and talk about uh, rhaenyra here but we've got rhaenyra and damon as dragon riders and everybody is ignoring that in this episode Right, exactly. Yeah, you could have Arthur Dane, Barristan Selmy, and Robert Baratheon, all the best fighters behind a high tower. They had Kristen Cole. None of that matters at all. Nope. <laughs> when they show up and that big red dragon starts poking its head out, then they're like, oh, yeah. Because you can be a really, really mean ant and the best of all the oh. ants. Right. But you're nothing compared <laughs> to a dragon or an elephant or whatever. You know, like it's just, that's what they are. They're just a bunch of ants compared to a dragon. I did think the dragons don't looked great. I was glad that they showed that a little more that was of course Stannis base of operations and then Daenerys operations in Game of Thrones they they gave it the more moody feel the mist was everywhere it was cloudy because that, that place is supposed to be pretty drab mm-hmm. and they kind of when Stannis was there it, it was kind of drab but we didn't see that much of it but then by the time Danny shows up it's all sunny and like <laughs> you know kind of nice and and everything like that so they, they really had a nice look with it this episode I thought so this Kakamimi planned by Damon <laughs> didn't make sense to me either, except for to try to piss people off. But if he was going to give in, I mean, I guess he wasn't going to give in necessarily unless Renera showed up. But this is Damon knowing where the line is and going just over. It's interesting that nobody asked this ex- except for Renera. And once she asked it, that's what sent Viserys over the edge to go do something about it, saying, I'm going. But she asked, what egg did he take? It sounds like they got a bunch of eggs there, which means that this was calculated and it was intentional. He is letting everyone know, I'm still here. I want you to remember me, and I want you to remember how good I am because I could sneak in and steal an egg under everybody's noses. And then I am even purposeful of which one. He wants everyone to remember who he is, and I think he kind of wants a chance to display his power to put people in their place. But he, it's not against the series. But he did call himself the rightful heir, didn't he? Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, that is, 
them fighting words. They are. I think Damon is still kind of figuring out, I can't just go off half-cocked here all the time and saying what I want, because finally, someone did challenge him. And right up in his face, and she did not mince words. You talk about fighting words, she's like, you're going to have to kill me. So do it now. And he could have, and she knew it, and he knew it. And so she, this is the same way Corliss put it on the table of like, you should marry my daughter. Rhaenyra's finally put it on the table for Damon. This is what this all means, so do it. And in that moment, not only does he not do it, but he also gives the egg back. And that's where I think we see this aspect of Damon where he wants to be noticed, he wants to be appreciated and taken seriously for who he is. And I think that is a theme that is running through here, these two episodes with his brother. This is the little brother syndrome for sure. But I also think he's right. He brings more to the table, and he is not being utilized. Corliss is not being utilized. Both of these people have been stifled. Like, let's look at, Dame is not even allowed really a whole lot or taken seriously at the small council. Corliss keeps getting shut down. Rhaenyra's is getting shut down here. Hightower is really wielding his, his power and allowing it. And it, it's working, though, because even Viserys shuts Rhaenyra's down. But, like... If you notice, who are these players who are getting shut down? But what's interesting is you're kind of being led to believe that they're all right. Rhaenyra's might be young, and there's a lot that she needs to learn. She's got that Danny-esque... Rhaenyra. Rhaenyra. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Um, I thought you were bad last time, but now <laughs> I think I'm switching for worse namesayer. But Rhaenyra, yeah, she's young and naive with some things and learning, but she's also picked up quite a lot she's not as naive as they are treating her as this dumb little girl well she's aggressive too so she proposes let's take our dragons over to the triarchy and show them who we are which gets shot down but it seems like an obvious Mm -hmm. thing to do even even just a once over in the air like hey we're here don't forget there's some interesting political commentary here so the king says at some point my job as king is to avoid war until it is unavoidable and this, you know, I don't want to start talking about modern day events or anything, but that ph- philosophically, is that correct or not? Like, at what point do you preempt the bad guys to show them you well, can't mess with Well, at what point us? is a battle worth it to make the larger war less? Right. Like, you start the war and you do it. And like, I don't know. And these are, yeah, right, exactly. I don't know either. These are complicated issues. Because, you know, you like that this king is not aggressive and he's kind of a nice guy, but then... When he start, when he eventually acts, is it just too late? Is it too late? And and not only that, people won't take you seriously anymore. Going back to Damon, his strategy is not clear to me here, except that he's trying to piss people off. But announcing that his wife or soon-to-be wife, his concubine, whatever the term is, is pregnant when she's not. She didn't even know they were going to be married. Right. Everything it, is just a lie. And apparently she can't get pregnant. Did I hear that correctly? Yes. Yeah. She made sure that she would never... So... Yeah, what's he thinking here? (laughs) He's thinking about himself and his own ends, but he's clearly not thinking about the other people he's drawn in. And I actually really appreciated that scene with him, and and I'm forgetting her name, um, but his girlfriend. Because she's very clear of, I don't play the Game of Thrones, I I play the game of life. I try to survive, and I am a survivor so many times over. Shay 2.0. Will she betray him once she finds someone who can protect her better? it's a big move for her to leave and do what she's done to go with Damon. It puts a target on her back and she seems smart enough to know that. But I think her understanding is if I align myself well enough to this person, he'll take care of me until the end. And that's what she reminds him of. Like, you may not 
uh, you're married, but you don't act like you are, you don't have any kids, you may not be thinking about anyone but you, but it isn't just you anymore. And she reminds him of that. A, a wake-up call of, I gotta, I gotta think through a little bit more of some of these things. But it shows, though, that he's not thinking about anybody but himself right now. And I think at some point, he's not going to have that luxury much. And then when she says that she can't have children, his response isn't, oh, what am I doing? I'm not going to have any errors. He's like, ah, whatever. Mm. You know, <laughs> so... Which, this whole episode is one of the duties as a king is to keep producing errors in the line. So this is, I think, a little, uh, another little piece to add to this fire of Damon doesn't really want to be king. You can tell that they're, it, it reminds me a lot of Danny, but they are very much, and by they, I mean everybody, except for Damon in that very final moment, is not taking Rhaenyra seriously at all. She is seen as a little girl, even though she's the exact same age the woman Viserys picked to be his wife. She's going to have to be taken seriously if she keeps doing these bold moves, right? Or are yeah. they just going to keep ignoring her, being like, well, she's a teenager. So we've got this thing. Corliss, Damon, and Rhaenyra are all not being taken seriously. Again, I find this just completely ironic, given two of those are dragon riders, and one of them is the richest like man as of right now, or the richest house in the kingdom. And what happens when you keep shushing and not taking seriously a superpower, which all these three are? And I'm wondering if that's the show. Right. <laughs> so again, it's uh, people can't see this. Uh, Jay and I are talking here, and there's times where you can tell that Jay wants to say something and he can't. And I'm pretty sure it's because he knows some things, and he, you have to be careful what you say. Because you know how some of this pans out right from the... Reading the Fire I, and Blood book? I have read the book, yes. But it, it is harder to, to keep track. So I know what happens to a lot of the characters in the storyline, but they are telling the story. It's, it's interesting. They're telling it so fast, but it doesn't feel fast in the context of the show. <laughs> but they're, they're strategically doing these time jumps. And like, I can't believe that by episode two, he's already marrying Alessandre and already. Like, it's, it's well paced. Stuff that takes years in the books that they're condensing, but it, it doesn't feel like the end of Game of Thrones where it was like, that doesn't make sense, that was too fast. Mm -hmm. Like, this feels good, this feels natural. So they're, I think they're doing a good job with it. So I'm going to introduce a new segment to our short podcast. Who's your MVP this week? Who's playing the Game of Thrones the best? <laughs> I think my initial like reflex and impulse would be to say Hightower, but only because he was successful. So I'm actually going to go for a tie between Hightower and Corliss because they're both playing very well. One just won out more at this point. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Hightowers, so a little bit of a, a cheap one. They're playing the game, but they're playing it subtly. They're winning with small moves that are hard to detect. They're not being bold and going out like... It's not small anymore, though. Right, I know, but the, the whole... St they're big moves, but they're small nudges to get people to do things. They're not going headstrong like some of these other characters. And then who do you think is losing the Game of Thrones? Who's the worst player this week? I think Viserys. I think so too. And it pains me to say it because I actually like his character quite a bit. Yeah. I, I like the actor. I like that he's like nice, <laughs> you know, and he's trying, but it's just, he's not as bad as Ned Stark, but it's just too much. Ned could just never really play the Game of Thrones and knew it and didn't want to and tried to have a 10-foot pole between him and it all the time, but he's actually trying to be a ruler, though. That's the difference here. He's just not very good at it. Heavy as the crown. Well, our second review will come out later in the week. 
which will be a scene-by-scene -scene one. So again, always the, the first one is going to be short overview. The second one will be fine-tooth comb. Thanks for listening.